Hey, you're listening to Burst Your Bubble. I'm Josh and I've got Kyler here with me. We're here to bring you the sharpest sports takes. Today we have Juan Guerra on to help us break down some of the Last Dance Michael Jordan documentary. We take a look at Andy Dalton, the red rifle in a Dallas Cowboys uniform, and we get ready for the NFL to release the upcoming schedule. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at Burst Your Bubble. Remember to rate, review, and share us with your friends or literally anyone you know. Thanks for listening, and remember, no hard feelings because more than likely, one of us will burst your bubble. Did you have a good weekend, man? Dude, I really did. So, uh, like I said last week, um, the weight of recruiting became a lot – became really too much for uh, my guy in Coach Lowe. Coach Lowe, man, is, is the name of my coach. So, I decided to settle down in uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, accepted an Oklahoma – or uh, offensive coordinator position um, with some really talented kids. Uh, so how was your weekend, Josh? My weekend was really good. I went and floated the river today. The wife and I took the dogs out, went down the uh, six-mile float trip, put them in a raft, and uh, I think all three of them slept for about three hours when we got home. Uh, the dogs are already asleep again, so it was, it's been a good day. The weekend was good. We didn't do a whole lot yesterday uh, or Saturday, so yeah, it was fun. Yeah, besides this Jordan doc, I have not had a, anything to do this entire weekend. Um, been very, very boring. Well, I, I was very unproductive on Saturday, but going to the river today and watching the Jordan docs got me, it's got me feeling good about this coming up week. So I'll tell you something I am feeling good about. Um, I, I also feel good about this week. I, my job starts back tomorrow, so I'll go back to work tomorrow. So that's not too good of a too great of a uh, start to my week, but not too bad either. Um, so one thing with NCAA football, Josh, uh, you might be somewhat flattered by this. So I never change the skill level of the players, but what I do is I change their names. So my quarterback, uh, Junkyard Josh, Let's is go. actually leading the nation in yards and touchdowns, um, also interceptions. But he's a reckless quarterback, so we're not really worried about that. Um, with, of course, his workhorse, O.J. Simpson, in the backfield. You out there trying to make me look like Jameis, so I'll come around to your side on this, huh? Well, hey, but your wide receiver core is strong. You got uh, LeBron James and Dwayne Wade out there to throw to. Well, I wouldn't rather have any other two guys to throw the basketball to. And that, this got me thinking, Josh. I got an interesting question for you. Um, the hardest part of doing all this was actually finding their numbers because this was at a time when um, in college football you couldn't have more than one number per team. So now you can have – a number 23 on offense and a number 23 on defense. But going in and finding those numbers was a lot harder than you'd think it would be. Um, so how do you feel about numbers in football? Um, should position groups be limited to number groups? Um, you know, wide receivers should stick to 80. Do you feel like that? No, I don't. Uh, I, un I mean, I, I guess I can get it. But no, let them have whatever number they want. I'm the exact same way. And I, I, feel, I feel like zero is a very underrated number for linemen. If I was a defensive lineman, number zero would be my first pick. J.J. Water, Davion Clowney, and a number zero, just wreaking havoc. Yeah, that's what you need. Yeah, double zero defensive end just coming at you. Zero yards, zero – no, you – oh, yeah, that would be awesome. But, like, I, like, my number was 22 growing up through everything. And if I didn't get 22, it was six. Like, those are my two numbers, 22 and six. If I – you know, obviously I'm talented enough to get to the NFL. I just had my career path brought me a different way. Yeah. Uh, it was if just I was going to be in the that held you back. Hell, I would want my own number. I'd want to be 22. Yeah, it was Hayworth that held you back there. Um, we, yeah, but like I said, it's, it's, we need a defensive lineman on now to just sell this idea to that number zero is the best idea or I mean, the best number for a defensive lineman. Uh, so if you know any defensive linemen out there in the NFL or in college football that are rising stars, you know, let them know. Let, us, let them know to come on the pod. we got a great idea for them. Double zero all the way. So another uh, double zero or a, a zero thing that's going on in the news right now uh, from a lot of people's perspective is Andy Dalton to the Cowboys. Did uh, I've seen a, I saw a lot of negative press about this on social media uh, over the weekend. And what were your thoughts on it? I'm all in on this move. Um, this has Mike McCarthy written all over it. If Jason Garrett was still in town, uh, Dak would be the highest paid quarterback in the NFL and Cooper Rush would still be his backup, and they would still go 8-8. Eight and eight. 
This move from McCarthy to convince Jerry Jones that Dak needs competition. He needs his seat warmed up. Um, and if he's going to continue to underperform, in, especially in late-season games, um, Mike McCarthy has a red rifle who he can put in the game and, I mean, probably not lose it for you. And on his best day, I think Andy Dalton can win you a divisional round. So, scenario time. Dak leads the Cowboys, making it to the playoffs. Philadelphia Eagles situation happens. The man gets hurt. Andy Dalton comes in like Nick Foles did. Does Andy Dalton win you a Super Bowl? So when did you say Andy Dalton comes in? Uh, first round of playoffs. No, let's say two games before the playoffs start, but the Cowboys are a lock. Does he win? I need that situation to play out. Not so much him winning the Super Bowl, just him making it to the Super Bowl. I need the the Super Bowl championship of 2021, whenever the season's going to be, the ring on Jerry Jones' finger to be completely reliant on the red rifle. I need it. That would be <laughs> – I would laugh so hard if Andy Dalton is the one that brings a Super Bowl championship – to Dallas. And I don't want to kill anybody, but what if he's the one that kills Jerry Jones? What if he gives Jerry Jones a heart attack? He just loses the Super Bowl by 57 points. Or by two points. So a pick I've six to... with a minute 30 left. A fumble off a handoff. This so, uh, I'm actually so I presented a um a question to you when I saw this news. What is more likely, do you think, um, Andy Dalton winning a playoff game with the Cowboys or Dak Prescott winning a playoff game with the Cowboys? So, I mean, off the top, obviously, I think that the more likely thing is going to be Dak winning a playoff game just because he is a starting quarterback, and I don't think that they're going to make moves otherwise unless he underperforms. I think that Andy Dalton will be the guy. I mean, sorry, I think that Dak yeah. Prescott will be the guy. Um but if, you know, anything happens, a little bit of competition. Like I said last episode, I think that Andy Dalton believes he has the potential to play at an NFL level and he can play to be a starting quarterback. I think that I think he believes that. And I think that this is a, a great chance for Dak to really shine and step forward this year to, to prove all the, the haters wrong. So you said it there. You said it um... – if a percentage chance who has the better likelihood of winning a playoff game percentage wise. Yeah, of course it's, it's Dak Prescott just because he's the starting quarterback on an NFL team and Andy Dalton's not, but in a bubble. And if you start them in a hundred playoff games, who's more likely to win one? I think it's Andy Dalton. Um, if what weeks matter the most in the NFL, Josh, in the regular season, what weeks matter the most? Well, this isn't a question for me because I say every week. So I, I don't you're think right, you can take right. off at the beginning or the end because if you start 0-4 and, and you finish 4-0 to end, you should have just started 4-0 and, and you wouldn't have had to make that up at the end. So I'm a big proponent of every game matters. So I would say weeks 13 through 17. Would you disagree? Uh, yes, I would say that every week matters. But if we're okay. looking at it your way, if you have room to maneuver in the standings, yeah, probably the last four or five weeks uh, would be the most important. So here's something to ponder. Uh, the quarterback record for the, for these two guys last season, weeks 13 through 17, both guys were two and three. What kind of competition were they playing? Uh, they were one was in a playoff race and one was in the race for the first pick. So I'd, I, 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 it just shouldn't be the same record. Yeah, I would agree. Well, and I mean, honestly, not even that. The Cowboys had such high expectations going into it last year, and they just underperformed majorly. They did not live up to anyone's expectation. And now you've got Andy Dalton, who's won playoff games. Uh, well, he made it to the playoffs a few times. So hey, I playoff mean, game. <laughs> yeah, playoff game. But that's more than what Dak can say. And he has – Dallas has an offensive line. I'm scared what's going to happen to defenses now that Andy Dalton will be behind an actual offensive line again. And, I mean, those weapons they have, sheesh. I mean, I think anybody out there could really succeed in that, in that system this year. Uh, Mike McCarthy, um, all those weapons. I, you know, if Dak gets off to a rough start, I think, I think the crowd is going to be murmuring for the Red Rifle in Dallas. So, national media, how many weeks do you think it's going to take before one of them says Andy Dalton needs to be the starter? 
No, it's the first. It's the first Cowboys loss. Mm. I, it wouldn't surprise me. So uh, yeah, we're, and we're going to be able to see. I think um, next episode we'll actually be able to plan when that first Cowboys loss is going to be. Um, the NFL is planning to release the full 2020 schedule in the next several days. Um, included in that is expected to be contingency plans in case things don't improve quickly enough um, on the coronavirus front. Um, it's also said that there's going to be no London games. London is um, braced for the fact that the NFL is not going to come there this year. They're going to lose about $5 million um, from losing this revenue from the NFL. Uh, what do you think about the NFL starting, Josh? And it's, it's also said that it's likely that fans will be in attendance week one. That's what Mike Florio is reporting. That it, that it is, that fans will be in attendance? Fans will be in attendance, likely to be. Well, that doesn't surprise me. What, what month does the NFL start? September? Yep. Yeah, that's a, I mean, that's a long time from now. And, I mean, I guess at the same time it's not that far away. But with, with everything happening in the news, with opening back up, that, that's a, uh, it's a pretty good time away. So I definitely think that that could happen. You know, they might be able to implement some social distancing things in the stadium. So by then I could see fans back in it. And I, it also wouldn't surprise me if there were no fans. I, I wouldn't be surprised either way uh, at that time period. I guess we'll see when things get closer. But I am super excited to uh, see the schedule, especially for my Baltimore Ravens, to see, uh, you know, what weeks we're going to play the Chiefs so we can beat them in the regular season. Uh, if that were to happen this year. So I, I'm excited. The London games being canceled don't necessarily surprise me. That's kind of something I, I expected. Too many cases, uh, them having to pay for international travel seems like a, a big risk for not a lot of reward. So that, that doesn't really surprise me. Okay, so I've got a fix for the, um, for the London games on the aspect that we're not going to have because it's so great waking up on a Sunday morning and, you know, you're, you wake up way too early and you're like, God, I'll leave, man. I've got three more hours I could have slept in. Like, I'm, I don't want to get up and make breakfast. And you just turn, go on ESPN and you realize there's a London game on. And there's already somebody, you know, early in the first quarter playing football. It's like, awesome. Let me just turn that on. So I've got a fix for that this year in case we don't get some London games. Um, I think just once a week, the worst offensive team from the last week has to play or the, uh, yeah, the, so the last last offensive place team from the previous week has to play a 9 a.m. start game. The last, the worst offensive team? Yeah. Okay, uh, I'm, I'm wrapping my head around it. I think it could be good. Um, so where I got caught up with at first when I was explaining it was the team they're playing is also going to be punished. But I think that's just – a consequence you would have to face in facing such a um, inferior opponent. So maybe that can be, uh, you know, with hmm, maybe that could be with teams who had the most points scored on them. So that way you're given the well, I guess the teams would already be set from the schedule. I don't know. I'm poking yeah, holes really, in this. Yeah, we can't really change the teams, but we can just change the start times. Yeah, but then what if you have a team that scores zero and a team that scores 42? Well, then we just, we just change the start time for the next week. We're fine. We'll figure it out. It's like those are logistical questions that someone way above my pay grade is going to figure out before the season starts, um, just like Mike Florio is doing for us on Pro Football Talk. And, you know, he says that, you know, the reason that they're going to um, try their very best is what his quote was, to have fans in attendance in week one is so that, um, for teams that where crowds won't be permitted until later in the season, say November, December, that would present an unfair advantage to teams that held more home games early in the part of the season. I guess that makes sense. I, I can understand that. I mean, it, it, I hope that they are able to bring fans back in at least at some point during the season. Yeah, that's definitely showing a lot of optimism um, for sports and maybe for college football as well. Uh, maybe if we get some, you know, if, if the optimism is that strong that maybe we can have fans, you know, pack a sixty, seventy thousand dollars or sixty-seven, seventy thousand fan arena, maybe we can have colleges open back up and have college football this this fall as well. I would do nothing more than to have college football this fall. I just, man, that's just a, such a stretch out there nowadays from everything that's been reported. 
But, man, there's just nothing like college. Those make weekends so much fun. College football on Saturday, NFL Sunday, all the way to Monday. Fantasy moves after on Tuesday and Wednesday, getting right back into it on Thursday. But I'll tell you what, even if we get college football delayed until the spring, I mean, going from the Super Bowl right into week one of college football, that would be pretty electric. That's a good point. I I would – and that's the thing, if that happened – it would be like football really didn't end ever. Yeah, and that's kind of what we were hoping for the past two seasons with the XFL and the AFF or whatever it was called. You know, we were hoping that, you know, hey, football's not going to end. We're going to have something the week after the Super Bowl. We're going to have something to watch, and it kind of fizzled out. But with college football, you know that won't happen. So we would have football pretty much a year round. But that would just cause serious concerns for, you know, again, starting college football again in the fall. Um, so the scheduling of that would, I think – turn too tough yeah it's definitely gonna be something hard to overcome I'm looking forward to to all this and I think that uh, getting with these start times getting the schedule out everything that's happening in the NFL is just getting everyone ready for sports again it's just getting ready back in the groove back in the routine of, of dealing with sports and the schedule having the draft and now the schedule coming out are two big things uh, in that to step forward to that in a time where it's been pretty pretty rough without sports Yep, and speaking of that, the Nets GM, Sean Marks, was on a New Zealand talk show, and when asked about the um, possibility of Kevin Durant returning to the team, um, if the playoffs were to return in the next couple of weeks, couple of months, uh, he didn't completely rule it out, but he did say that, you know, Kevin Durant would have to be, will be completely healthy when he comes back. It will be on his own terms. You know, he said Kevin Durant knows his body better than anyone else, and he will not come back until Kevin, you know, says he is, and Kevin is 100%. He did end with this quote, though, and I thought it was pretty interesting. Quote, I can tell you this, though, before the pandemic, he looked like Kevin Durant, and that's a good thing. Well, that is a great thing. Uh, if Kevin Durant's looking like Kevin Durant, that's a scary thing for any team out there. And I think that this will probably attribute a lot to how much of a competitor Kevin Durant is. I mean, obviously, we wouldn't want anyone to rush out there and get re-injured or anything like that, but if the reports are true and KD was, you know, as fine as as this going into the break, you'd have to think that this rest and more time for him just to recover has had to be good for, for his recovery and maybe to go in and make an impact on that Nets team. So um, I have an argument for both sides. Uh, if I was Kevin Durant, I'm obviously not. I am KD, but I'm not Kevin Durant. Um, I would not come back. I don't have a coach. I don't have um, the players I want. We don't have any depth. But my, the argument for it, I'm the best player in the world. I haven't lost a playoff series since 2016, and that was Russell Westbrook's fault. Um, I have my best friend in Kyrie Irving. We have three elite scorers on the team in Karis LeVert, Spencer Dinwiddie. Uh, so they are the seventh seed right now. Um, let's, let's go ahead and play out this scenario. So they get the Raptors first round. That's a revenge series for KD. The Nets sweep them. They play a, a five-game series. They beat them in three straight games. The Celtics are next. They beat them. Who, who, do the, who do the Celtics have, especially coming off a three-month break? Uh, who do they have, you know, playoff experience-wise to come out there and get a bucket? I think the Nets beat them in six or seven games. And the next round, they get the Bucks. I, I think this Nets team, as it's currently constructed, even with an interim coach, even with a put-together lineup for, a, for pretty much a sellout year, when Katie and Kyrie are, you know, integrating themselves into this organization, they still have the firepower and the playoff experience to make a run to the NBA finals. Yeah. I mean, they have, they have the chance. Obviously KD is a, he's a team changer. He's a game changer. He can go out there and make basically anything happen. So I'm, I definitely wouldn't put anything past KD and his ability uh, to help that Nets team. I would, I would disagree. I think in that situation, I think the, the Nets get beat out by the Celtics. I think that they'd probably uh, win in six against the Raptors uh, and then move on to the Celtics. I think that no matter how good of a player you are, no matter what kind of talent, there's always going to be a little bit of, of rust, a little bit of getting used to playing with each other. And this would be a team that's throwing who would probably take the majority of the shots into the offense that's not familiar with these guys completely in game situations, not playing with them throughout the year, I think that there's going to be – there'd be some kinks, and I think that Boston uh, would be able to take advantage of that. 
Uh, that point is very well made by you. I think Boston would be one of the top teams to benefit from such a break that they've gotten, um, especially with their top guy in Kimba Walker um, having such a knee issue, you know, exiting the playoff, exiting the all-star weekend and, you know, heading into the playoff stretch. Um, I think the Celtics would, would benefit from the most. And I think, I think they're actually going to be my pick to come out of the East if, or I'd say, I guess we can start saying when the playoffs come back. Yeah, uh, I don't remember if I had them or Milwaukee uh, coming out of the East. I think that you'll see those two teams in the Eastern Conference Finals. And I'm not sure how the game would go. I think uh, I think that the Celtics are a better team talent-wise, but Milwaukee with Giannis is, is a very good team that's being coached really well right now. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to completely disagree with you there. I think – um, like the Celtics are completely benefiting from this, um, from the rust or from the rest, I should say, the Bucks are going to be completely hurt from the rust. <clears throat> they have got, they're going to face the eight seed in the first round. Of course, they're going to get by them, whoever that is. I think it's the magic at this point, but in the second round, they're going to face the winners of the heat or the heat or the Pacers. Um, either of those teams are going to be completely healthy. You've got Oladipo on that Pacers team. Who, who is just getting into his, into his own. And these three months are just going to absolutely do the most for them. I think, I think the Bucks will be upset in the second round. Well, I'm looking forward to it. Upset or not, I'm looking forward to uh, being able to break down game two of the second round of the Eastern Conference playoffs. So uh, just talking about basketball, talking about the schedule of football has just got me excited. We talked about having a good week at the at the beginning of this. Now I'm feeling really good right now. I'm I'm on a I'm on a good high right now from all this. Some real sports talk, Josh. I'm feeling a buzz. I I couldn't be happier. That's the reason we started this in the first place to talk about live sports. And while it's fun to break down scenarios and things that happen, there's nothing better than talking about actual sporting events that are happening in front of us. So speaking of stuff that happened live tonight, let's go ahead and get into. The the Jordan Doc. Uh, first, Josh, you wanted to read an ad for us. Kyler, I know how much we both have loved what Anchor has given us as a podcasting platform. Ladies and gents, if you haven't heard of Anchor yet, you're missing out. Most importantly, it's free. Anchor gives you the ability to edit and upload your podcast directly from your phone to get anywhere you can get your podcast. Apple Music, Spotify, it'll be there. You can make money from your podcast with minimum listeners. It's literally everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Go download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. Episodes five and six of the Jordan Doc are in the book. Seven and eight next Sunday, Josh. The week after that is the wrap-up. Um, this is flying by, and actually J.J. Watt tweeted it out. Ten episodes will not be enough. Well, I completely agree because we're going to need – expansions on Dennis Rodman's trip to Vegas, and then the little security guy who beat Jordan in quarters all those times. We need some documentaries on those guys too. Yeah, actually, and I just saw on Twitter that, not to bring down the mood, but that guy uh, who beat him and shrugged to the camera, all-time moment, by the way, probably the highlight of that guy's life, taking Jordan's money and then shrugging right in his face, uh, time of that guy's life. But that guy actually died in January, so – uh that's actually horrible to hear because um, this would have been probably amazing for him to see and relive through. But uh, yeah, like you said, Josh, this was, these are my two favorite episodes. Um, how about, were, how, they, how do they feel to you? Oh, I think they just keep getting better. And bringing in Kobe, a guy that, you know, was, he was one of the idols. He was one of the all-time greats whenever we were growing up. So watching, watching Kobe play like that, at least for, at least for me. So, it, uh, it definitely hit home a little bit more in this episode and comparing those two side by side a lot from what it did or showing that it, the mentor side of it, uh, it, it was a huge, especially that first episode, it was a, it was a huge, huge draw for me. So two things that really stood out to me with Kobe. Um, the first thing when Jordan was talking about, he said that Laker boy is just going to try to go one-on-one. -on -one. That Laker boy is not going to let it come to him. That Laker boy, he's going to force the one-on-one. Hey, he's, he might be – hey, he's going to force it. He might, he might, you know, be successful in forcing it, but that's what he's going to do. Um, and then the second thing that stood out was when Kobe was talking about how much of an impact that Jordan had on his career and his life. You know, when he said – Jordan told him to give him a call. He said, give me a call, you know, if you need anything. 
And I think when Kobe died, the narrative kind of became that Jordan was more of a mentor to Kobe than anyone really knew. And this confirmed that. It seems like um, Kobe attained a ton of career advice over the years and all, a lot of his moves from Jordan. He even said, you know, I don't win five championships without Michael Jordan. And, and I, I think that relationship is awesome to be able to see a little bit of that. But, man, that first time that, that Kobe showed up on this episode today and started talking – instant chills i'm not a crier but it, it brought a tear to my eye you know i didn't start crying but it, it brought a tear and uh it, it was just a, a very sentimental piece for this episode that helped wrap together a a future look into what will be the documentary of kobe's career definitely and uh I, and the my favorite part of all of this um and i would say my favorite documentary of all time basketball wise would be the dream team um, the Dream Team documentary is by far my favorite documentary. The inside look at that when they did, I think, the four-part look at that a few years ago. Um, but another documentary I've heard that is in the works is the Redeem Team, the 08 team um, that Kobe was on. So definitely looking forward to that. And so one other thing about that Kobe-Jordan uh, thing, whenever Jordan was talking about that Laker boy, is gonna, he's going to force, he's not going to let the game to him, he said, just give it four possessions because if he was my teammate, I wouldn't pass him the fucking ball. Yeah. Yeah, and then Grant Hill on the bench, all-time moment, said, hey, I'm not jumping with that. I'm not trying to end up on a poster. All-time <laughs> moment. Hmm. Hey, sometimes it's just business. You, you got to make a business decision there. And that's also something that an underrated moment in basketball history is how underrated Grant Hill was, an all-star in 1998 as a rookie. I, him and Kobe were on the same level then, the knee injury. And Grant Hill's is two injuries away from being – a Kobe of this generation, a Scotty to his Kobe. Yeah, injuries just always make everything a little bit worse. But it's always it's good to be able to see some of these things like him saying that and looking back at some of these guys. So with with this, I, I love the documentary, man. I, I, I'm huge on it. I thought, uh, oh, so I think Magic Johnson in this interview and he's talking to the camera today, he did a, like a, a grunt, scowl face. I don't really remember exactly what was happening, but he, he made a little face, and he looked like the – was it Sully uh, from Monsters, Inc.? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he looked and sounded like he was trying to scare a kid and get laugh points or cry points, whatever it was, from this little kid. That's Oh, I know exactly. That's, that's hilarious. Uh, so what I thought was great from this was that NBC hired, Mike, or hired, hired Magic Johnson for those 92 finals um, solely because they knew he was close with Michael Jordan. They knew he would have that insight. He was at Michael Jordan's house the night before a finals game playing cards with him. What other announcer are you going to get that side of, sort of insight from? You, ne you never would, especially on a player like Michael Jordan. You would never get that kind of access except for Magic Johnson. I'll tell you what, his memory is really good because he was calling those plays from a pickup game that happened 30 years ago. And I, I posed this question on Twitter. Um, our friend Gabe Eichard um, uh, posed a tweet, you know, how much would you pay for one of those tickets? How much would you pay to be at that game? And I quoted it, and the better question is, um, would you rather have been at that game and lived to tell stories about it all these years or saw it live on your TV and had footage of it all these years, just not be able to share it? Oh, that's a tough one. That's a that is a great question. Uh, I, oh man, I probably would have loved to see it in person to be able to tell about it. I'm a big story guy, so I'm not a big story guy. I would definitely love to have it on my TV and watch it about every time. Times like these, where I'm itching for some basketball, and that's the greatest pickup game ever played. And if you think I'm going to follow the rules, follow the law, whatever governing body tells me not to share it, it's going on my Snapchat the instant I see it. That's a good point. Ah, I would have loved to, to be back there during that time. So let's get into some shoe talk. Uh, so we wanted to bring on our friend Juan Guerra from Kicklahoma on uh, to just give us a little better insight on, you know, what the move to Nike, what the decision Nike over Adidas meant for the shoe game and meant for Jordan um, as a brand. So uh, here's that audio. 
So joining us to get today, um, again, on Burst Your Bubble, friend of the show, Juan Guerra uh, of Kicklahoma. Check out Kicklahoma on Instagram, on Twitter, um, all social media. Check out Kicklahoma for your shoe needs. Um, Juan, we wanted to bring you on just to talk about, you know, the Jordan doc was obviously tonight, and it showed the impact that Jordan had um, in the late 80s, early 90s in the shoe game with Nike. Um, the first question I wanted to ask was actually about Adidas. Uh, it showed that, you know, Jordan was really close to signing with them. Um, if he had, do you think Adidas would be the Nike of today? Yeah, it's it's really hard to tell. Um, you know, obviously it could have obviously impacted Nike greatly and obviously the Jordan brand um, because you wouldn't have had the whole Air Jordan theme that kind of tied in well with Jordan going to um, Nike. So it's just real hard to tell, obviously – a lot of brands, you know, they're one influencer away or one idea away, um, such as I think what, you know, within the last five years saved Adidas or has boosted Adidas was Kanye West, who left Nike to go to Adidas. So, again, it obviously probably would have changed, but, I mean, we wouldn't be asking that question today if he had signed with Adidas because we don't know what the outcomes would have been and it might have, you know, might have not been that great. So uh, as a guy in the shoe game, would you attribute it more to the greatness of Jordan or the marketing powerhouse of Nike that turned Jordan into that billion dollar brand? Uh, I would say probably, you know, the athlete himself. Um, and I mean, that's kind of like, you know, grown like, you know, LeBron has a billion dollar contract with Nike as well, lifetime contract. So, you know, it comes with the athlete, I believe, you know, um, I think kind of like, you know, if somebody's cool and trendy and whatever the case may be, whatever they're, you know, wearing or doing or, you know, people are going to want to have that, um, whether it's shoes, clothes, you know, you have like, you know, the people that are like makeup, you know, enthusiasts and, you know, females want to have that type of makeup. Everybody wants to have what those cool people that they see have. And uh, kind of talking about the deal he got back then, um, he said at the time top guys were signing shoe deals like, you know, Bird and Magic with Converse for around $100,000. And when Mike signed with Nike, he got $250,000. Um, talk about how significant that number is. Yeah, I mean, that just kind of, it's kind of with everything else um, as like this marketing and stuff has changed, how just everything, all those prices, all those numbers, you know, they're all obviously over time, they're fluctuated. Um, and you know, the numbers keep going up and it's like, again, with everything else, like times have changed from, you know, the eighties. Um, but you know, for him to get that 250,000 right out the gate from, uh, Nike and his own shoe. Um, and it's just crazy what it did so quick. Cause they talked about how they wanted to do 300 million in the first five years. And in the first year they did 126 million. And I don't think what people realize now is that shoe at the time was 6499. So that's a lot of pairs to run off 126 million as opposed to like nowadays when pairs sell, you know, retail wise for 160 to 225, you know, just variant of the shoe. Yeah. I wish I could get a pair of Jordans for 64.99 right now. <laughs> right. So has this, uh, you know, obviously the coronavirus slowed everything down for you guys. What we talked about last time we had you on uh, a little bit. Has this Jordan doc, has it brought back any people who were, you know, wanting some of those older Jordans or some different Jordans that they might not have? So we just recently opened and um, opened back up. And one of the things that we've kind of been keeping track of over the last month is that almost any Jordan between the one and the 12 to 13, which is he wears the 13 in that 97, 98 season, red, white, and black colorway prices are actually going up. And they've gone up and you know we've had people asking like yo why are these now 375 and not 350 and it's just like you know everything in red black and white it's going up because people are like watching this and people are getting more tied into it and it's like i don't want to speak on it because we don't want to speak on it but i saw what kobe's did whenever kobe passed away in january unfortunately and it's just so scary like what's gonna happen one day you know when jordan's time comes um, hopefully way later down the line. Um, but it's just scary of like what could potentially happen and how a lot of people are going to exploit 
that, and again, this might be like a whole generation away. This could be 30 years away, 35 years away. Who knows? I mean, even though who knows what shoes will be in 30 to 35 years as far as like collector's items and, and whatnot. So is there a, go ahead, Josh. Has there been a, a pretty big price jump for the Jordan 11s? Uh, if I remember right, those are the ones that he used in uh, Space Jam whenever he's playing the Monstars. Uh, has there, have you seen a big, big jump in those? Yeah, a lot of the stuff, uh, honestly, like in those colorways have gone up, you know, 35 to 75 bucks. Um, with the Jordan 11, the Jordan 11's like the most iconic Jordan um, b besides the Jordan 1. So that shoe always sells well, always sells, you know, high, um, unfortunately. And as the years progress, the prices do slowly keep going up on them because you're talking about moving a year away from a release date and then moving another year away. And it's just harder to find them, especially in new condition, um, which is why, you know, Jordan will make some of those popular colorways every five to six years because people want to get their hands back on them or, you know, they busted out of a pair, or they lost a pair, a pair got stolen out the car or whatever, the, the dog shoot it up. So, you know, Jordan, you know, that, and that's why it is a billion dollar, you know, industry, the sneaker industry, the billion dollar industry, Jordan brand does X amount of millions a year is because of like, you know, some of those nostalgic colorways, you know, the stories behind it, as far as like, yo, he played in those, or he played in this, or this shoe is called the, the Jordan four calf because he was wearing the fours when they beat the calves and he hit the jump shot and whatnot. And now they just put the calves colors on it. So there's like so many stories behind a lot of shoes. Um, you know, like, I know if you watched the episode here tonight with the Barcelona sevens, like they got a shoe that has like that crazy print jumpsuit he was wearing with like the yellows and the reds. Like they have a Jordan seven because he wore the sevens at Olympic. Like there's just so many little stories. And I think, you know, maybe some of the younger generation doesn't understand that now, but you know, you kind of tell them, hey, this is why they make it. This is where this inspired. It actually has a meaning behind it. So we talked a little bit about that technology jump um, since the Jordan 1 to the 13s, like we you know, saw in the episode tonight. And we even saw, you know, Jordan after the game talking about, you know, his feet were literally bleeding in the locker room when he took his shoes and socks off. Uh, kind of talk about the technology difference between the 1s and the 13s and even the 13s to now. Yeah, I think like now, like a lot, like, so basically like the way Jordan's work, he's on 34 right now and people will wear like basically most people only wear one through 14s, which is where he like retired, you know, as a boy in 98 was playing the 14. And those are like the shoes that people remind him of. And then from there on, you know, they've obviously had the 15 through the 34. And nowadays, like they're just made more of like a strict basketball shoe. Like it's not something you would like casually wear. So they've gone to more like tech and this, that. And you hear a lot of people say, like, man, I'm not going to wear those. Like, you know, it's not, it's like, it's, it's a basketball shoe now. It's, and it's because, you know, back in 84, they didn't know what they were doing. You know, it's a flat footed shoe. You'll never see yeah. a basketball player design a flat footed shoe ever again. And it's just, you know, that's changed. Um, you know, we talk about price point now, like the cheapest shoe, like signature athlete now is 120 or 110, I think. Greek Freaks at 120 and that was like his starting price it's and everybody's like you know like I'm a big KD guy and people like the KD4 which everybody says is the greatest KD was only 95 about 96 dollars like it's never gonna happen again it's just how times have changed you know with with everything I mean you know the price of like milk car prices everything has fluctuated over time it's just the way the economy has worked um, so you're never going to see like the signature shoe be cheaper than 120 just because all the money they put into athlete, all the money they put into marketing, you know, they put so much into selling this product. So what, I think last time you were on, you told us uh, what your favorite Jordan was. Uh, what is your least favorite Jordan shoe? Uh, I only wear a couple of Jordan shoes. I only wear the one through the sixes. Um, I mean, I don't, I mean, I guess now I wouldn't wear really any of the newer stuff. Just because, you know, it does look very basketball-y. Um, you know, a couple of those that, like, nobody even knows, like, right off the top of their heads, like, the 22 through 26, I believe. And, like, around that time, they were just calling it, like, the 2005, the 2006. Because he was, like, retired. It was just some weird, like, they were going through, like, a weird phase where they were just calling them by the years. And sometimes, like, when people come in, like, you know, like I have older people, they'll pick up a shoe and they're like, I had these in 88 and they call yeah. them by like 88. They don't call it as the Jordan four or the Jordan three, because back then it was like 
three or four colorways that people were getting out. It's like the freaking shit every week, and it's hard to keep up with them. And what are their nicknames? And you know what actually has a meaning, and what's just another shoe color they made to sell. So I'll, I'll, tell, you, I'll tell you Miley's favorite real quick. Miley's favorite is the Jordan Horizons. I think is what they're called. When I worked at Hibbets, we sold some of those, and I thought it was the ugliest shoe I've ever seen. But anyway. it's a flat-footed shoe as well, right? It is very flat-footed. Very flat-footed shoe. So I've got the same question, but I'm going to limit it through one through thirteen. Um, thirteen is actually my least favorite Jordan. I'm seeing it tonight. I, I was reminded of that. I'm just not a fan of the thirteen. So one through thirteen, what's your least favorite Jordan? Um, nines. Yeah, nines look a little weird. They don't make a lot of nines. Um, they don't make a lot of nines. they don't make a lot of twos. A lot of people don't like the twos either. I have a couple of twos, um, but not many. But the nines, the twos, probably like, and the tens. I mean, the tens are very similar to the nine. Um, so, kind of, the most people they would avoid that. Most people stop at fourteen, and then some. Most of them stop at thirteen. Some fourteen, but then I know like a lot of people like really like the i mean there's just random people some people yeah. like this but like you don't really see a lot of 16s 17s 18s a lot of that stuff that was after he left the bulls they don't even make a lot of them anymore so sometimes people are more gravitated to buy those pairs because they don't release as often gotcha all right Juan. uh thank you so much for joining us man uh juan guerra of kicklahoma a friend of the show man really appreciate you making time for us um like you said, we've enjoyed the, enjoyed the first uh, couple of episodes, and we're looking forward to the rest of it. Four more. See what, yep. see what they got left. Oh, yeah. appreciate hey, it, appreciate it, Juan. Hey, you guys have a good one. Yep, you too, buddy. Man, it's great having Juan on. His, his insight on the shoe game and everything that's going on with, with shoes, uh, great plug for him, and uh, we love having him on. Yep, friend of the program. Thank you again, Juan, for coming on. Um, doesn't look like we're going to get some NBA games to go to this season, so uh, no Thunder games until next season. Um, but it may, we might get an NFL game. He's a big Cowboys guy, so we might we might go catch a Cowboys game in person with him. Well, yeah, and we're, when we're in Dallas, we can go down to the Rangers game whenever they start back up and, and hit up Riley while we're there. We can get a four-man scramble going on the golf course. Hey, let's do it. So let's get back to the Jordan doc. Uh, so we kind of talked about – the dream team a little bit what was your biggest takeaway from the 92 olympics from the olympics it was definitely the fact that michael jordan that scotty pippen said this kid could never play two games in the nba because he's shy and he's he's basically just called him weak basically said look he's he's a softy he's a he's a uh Kyler might not like this word but he's a cupcake uh so he he wouldn't he wouldn't last in the NBA, and I thought that was so telling. And then Kubox in the interview, man, they, they didn't even know me. That this was the first time I'd ever they'd ever met me, and they were coming at me like that. That's that was the funniest part. And later in the doc, you know, he said like, "Hey, I had the Jordan ones. Like I, I played in them the year they came out." And Jordan was like, "What were you twelve? He's like, "Yeah, I was. I was twelve. He said, "I told you I just got started." I just played – I had picked up a basketball a week before, and I was like, oh, my God, my, Michael Jordan, my idol. And then who knew seven years later he would just be getting, be getting dominated on a national stage playing for his home country by his idol. And then, well, and then you know, years later, uh, him and Scotty are tipping off uh, in a uh, Lakers matchup. So I, I thought that that was uh, a pretty good little thing, you know, going back to Scotty's like, this kid – isn't going to play in the NBA like he's weak. And then obviously how it transpires. That to me was the best storyline from that entire thing. Yeah. And I kind of, I put a little bit of that on Kukoc for not kind of recognizing, Hey, I'm playing the USA in their first round here. Maybe I should be a little more ready for this game. But uh, I, yeah, I kind of started to feel bad for the people that get compared to Mike. I mean, you saw how he just destroyed Clyde and he wouldn't just beat them in basketball. I mean, obviously he'd just destroy them and, every aspect of the game of basketball but then he would let you know about it and he would pick you apart mentally until the point where like you they wouldn't even compare you anymore uh, after that after that series with Clyde uh, that was a, a rough point in his career you know I will say we talk a lot about Michael Jordan's uh, 
Pat or his passion, his aggression on the court, how he would step on people's throat, how he was this this killer on the court. Dude, from this from this episode tonight, Michael Jordan was a softy to the media. He were it I mean, you say what you want, you know, the rumors came out you were out in a casino, you were still out in a casino, and players, if that came out now for a player, you I mean, they would face a lot more scrutiny. And he pulled a Russell Westbrook and went next question. He just wouldn't talk to the media, wouldn't, you know, wouldn't give him any if, – if, if LeBron James did that in 2020, the conversation would be completely different. So I've got, I've got even something more to add to that. Um, and kind of how Jordan – obviously, you know, he has a strong hand in this documentary. He's not going to put anything in here that he doesn't want. You know, we've heard the rumor that, you know, Jason Ayer – there was nothing turned down by Jordan. Anything that they brought to Jordan, he accepted. But that doesn't mean that they brought everything to Jordan. You know, some stuff was left out. One thing that was left out in 1989, game four, he shot five for 15, had, I think, 17 points. And everyone in the media, including Doug Collins, trashed him after that game. Said he played bad, he has to play better. Game five, he threw a hissy fit, played 46 minutes, and had eight shots. That's because it was completely left out of the story. Why? Because it's a narrative. It's not the narrative that everyone wants, wants to be of Jordan. And the same thing happened was what stood out to me most about the Olympics in 92. Um, Michael Jordan was going to the Olympics to represent Nike as a global brand. He would have gone either way. He would have gone whether Isaiah Thomas was there. He would have gone whether he had to play everyone by himself. He was there representing Nike. Um, I think the stuff with Isaiah Thomas, the drama was especially more with Larry Bird. Um, remember that racial spat they had in 89? I think it was what it was. Um, of course, his feuds with Magic. And I think his, his rivalry, rivalry with Scotty was even more personal than it was with Michael. So the, I think the IT and MJ drama was just played out a lot more because of who MJ was. Yeah, and you heard him tonight. You know, uh, Magic's obviously the best point guard, but IT's number two. As much as I hate him, I got to respect the game. And so yeah, I, I think that's a huge part of it, you know. And Michael Jordan is is at least smart enough to realize, look, you I, you're not my favorite person. I don't like you very much, but I got to respect the level that you're playing at and how good you are at the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean Isaiah Thomas obviously obviously he should have been on that team. Um, he was, I mean, he would have been probably the third or fourth best player on that team. But at the time, I mean, Larry Bird was out of the league. Larry Bird was the all-star. I mean, or he was getting close to being out of the league. Magic Johnson was already out of the league, I should say. Um, so these guys, they would have, they needed the faces. They needed the actual stars, the Larry Bird, the Magic Johnson. Even though they're past their prime and having IT there, you would have risked those guys not coming. Which is wild to think about that that one person could have, blowing up that team well I mean when you think about it like he was he was right in the middle of he he cost the Celtics maybe one or two more he cost the Lakers maybe one or two more and he cost the the Bulls maybe one or two more early so he was riding those guys and he was playing they were doing it in a way that not only the teams hated but the fan bases and the media hated even more yeah and man I, I went through and watched some highlights on IT over the weekend too he did some incredible things with the basketball. He he was a wizard, an an all time point guard. He he, you know he accentuated that that position. He he played that position to its peak. He he got his teammates involved and he scored when he needed to. He was, you know, he revolutionized that position before it became revolutionary. So I did think about something else watching this. Uh, obviously, it comes out with the casino trip and Michael Jordan's gambling and did he have a problem? Um, this just this just solidifies for me that you know there was talks now that he didn't go to to Vegas to get Rodman. He only had to go to the apartment across the street. And it would not have surprised me if Michael Jordan would have made a trip to Las Vegas with or without Dennis Rodman, just for the fact so he could go gamble. Yeah, and his gambling. You know, he said. You know, he would always say, it's not a gambling problem, it's a competitiveness problem. You know, I just have, I'm just so competitive, I I'll thrive on competition, I need it, I need it. And I think we can all relate in some sort, you know. Um, people say, you know, why are you betting on that Pac-12 game at 11.30 at night? You know, it's not because I'm addicted to gambling, it's because I'm addicted to competition, Josh. 
I want to prove that I'm better than everyone else in predicting which one of these teams is going to win tonight. And, and when it's Hawaii versus Arizona at 1130 at night, I know who's going to win that game, and I know the over's going to hit. So at that point, it's not even gambling. It's, it's just free money. Is it gambling if you know you're going to win? It's not. So and, and going back to the golf part of it, um, <laughs> it seemed like that was gambling for, for Jordan because it didn't seem like he was very good at it. Yeah, yeah, they definitely showed his struggles. Uh, I was very surprised that that was the one that they aired. I figured that they would have had a, uh, a day where he was really killing it at the course, but uh, that's not the case. And he lost a lot of money playing golf. You know, that's the thing, too, that I think is pretty overblown by this. Um, and I think if you spend a lot of time um, on the golf course during the summer, uh, especially in a country club, you'll see this. Um, you know, seeing players like Michael Jordan, these guys, you know, play – you know, the rumor, I think a, a reporter asked him in the hall was, hey, Michael, are you playing for $1,000 a hole? Josh, I've seen dentists and attorneys play for more than that. So, I mean, an NBA player, I, I would figure it would be a lot more than $1,000 a hole. Yeah, well, that's $1,000 a hole that one time. What about the six other days out of the week? Yeah, and another thing, you could also be playing carryover. So that, that 18th hole might be worth a lot more than $1,000. Yeah, he might already be down, what was it, $1.2 million to somebody? Ooh, that's another thing. That was my number one takeaway from this. We need a documentary on that guy, that slim dude who just walked around hustling people on the golf course all day. Who the hell was that? Yeah, if you're gambling with a guy named Slim, it's probably not going to end up too well for you. You're going to lose all your money and end up with a few charges. <laughs> yeah, they don't – Slim Grim Reaper, Slim Reaper, come on, man. Hey, we're not. This isn't a. This is a Kevin Durant love or hate free podcast. Oh, that was no hate. That's no hate. That's just the the nickname I transferred to Slim. So yeah, Slim man. I I need a documentary. I need his full story. Um, but yeah, like you said, if if you're if you're involved with a guy named Slim on the golf course, you're gonna walk away with um about a hundred thousand dollars short and an embezzlement charge. At the very least. Yeah. The. The situations that Michael Jordan got himself in through these years, it's honestly amazing that nothing ever happened. What do you mean by that? $1.2 million in debt to one person. And this, like we said, this is just the things that Jordan wanted to air. You, you will not get me to believe that he was not either taking a lot of money from other people or in debt to other people because this is the only thing that they aired. Well, I mean, Josh, we don't want to – I definitely am not going to speculate about um, the death of Michael Jordan's father because that's a very serious subject, and the investigation of that is very serious. But there has been um, – gambling implications may have been tied to that. But moving on from that, uh, the 93 final series. Charles Barkley – He's that, he is that championship series away. He is that 93 finals away. Possibly that game one where he said on SportsCenter um, just earlier, moments earlier, he said he didn't prepare his team for the enormity of the moment um, for that final series. Going against MJ, they weren't ready for the moment. He said he could have prepared them better, and that's his one regret he thinks about every day. He compared it to when MJ said the same thing um, in their first game against the Lakers that they lost um, in the 90 finals, I believe, 91. Um, so I believe Charles Barkley is that championship series away from being the best power forward of all time. And there's a very good case to be made for that. I mean, it, and it's also crazy. I felt like he could talk a lot better in his younger days than he does now. He, he didn't stumble over his words as much. He wasn't, a, he wasn't Charles that we know and love today. Uh, but you're exactly right on that and the fact that he was that playoff series away and he said it, I played as hard and as good as I could play. Michael just outplayed me. Yeah. And that just goes to show the level that Michael Jordan could bring his game to whenever he needed to. Yeah, and that triple overtime game in game three, that is the best rewatchable game probably of Michael Jordan's career, definitely of Charles Barkley's career. That game is so much fun to watch. But what's funny about it is it went to triple overtime and the final score is like 129 to 125. I mean, that's, that's regulation basketball today. 
Well, that was the that was the one of the things that I saw too. There was a game. I, it may not have been with Charles, but it, there was a game that was like seventy eight to eighty six or something. And I was like, what the? But yeah, those defensive battles. I mean, first one to seventy eighty points win the game most of the time. And Michael Jordan probably had forty points. Yeah, he had yeah. half the team's points. Yeah, that's definitely one of those Doug Collins games. <laughs> Man, that, that is just incredible thing because there's no way. In today's basketball, very well, it doesn't happen very often where someone scores half the points. Yeah, definitely. Um, and, but I will say this real quick: i I feel like I feel like the thirty point games now are easier to come by, or not as not as prestigious as they were while Michael was playing. And obviously, he came in and transformed the league and gave national attention and made basketball what it is but I feel like there are a lot of players now that are scoring these high you know number of points and they just don't get as much recognition well I mean the draws there's no defense now I mean the implement of no hand checking you can't I mean you saw Scottie Pippen he's one of the best defenders in the in the world ever partly because he's putting 190 pounds on you every time he pushes his hands on your hips like he's putting all of his hand, all of his weight with his giant hands on you every time he touches you. And as a defender, when he's doing that 93 feet every time you touch the ball, even when you don't have the ball, he's still just following down the court, just putting his body weight on you. I mean, that's a foul today as soon as he's doing it, and, he, and he's being limited from that. So I, that's part of it. And also, I mean, obviously, you know, they're better, faster, stronger as humans are, as humans evolve. But I mean, the offenses do as well. I mean, just the the offensive minds have gotten smarter. And yeah, we've seen definitely the, the prevalence of, or the, the importance of those type of games are definitely downplayed now. Yeah, and that was something that the, the guy from the Olympics, uh, what's his last name? Um, I can't, I don't know why I can't think of it. Search with the K. Kukoc. Kukoc, yes. Uh, that was one thing he said. I didn't expect him to be right beside me for the entire game. He said he was literally standing there playing defense at all times, and I wasn't used to that. Yeah, and I kind of, I kind of relate um, what you said about, you know, it's easier to score now to what Lucas said even um, a few months ago when he said that it's easier to score in the NBA compared to even the European leagues just because it's more wide open. There's guys just standing in the corner, and that's their job. Their job is to run corner to corner just to space the floor. Um, yeah, it's just easier to score, more room to move around. So do you think that the 30 points today means less than 30 points back then? Like these stats of he scored 30 points in this many playoff games. Um, well, if it's playoff games, that's a different, that's a different thing. Cause if you're scoring, if you can score 30 in a playoff game, that's another thing. But uh, let's say Trey young, you know, he pretty much averaged 30 points this season, but I think he, he won 12 games. So for in that instance, um, they are overplayed. But if you can score 30 points in a playoff game, like kind of like James Harden can do, um, I don't think it should be underplayed. Yeah, I like that. The bigger the game, the more important it is. So the biggest flex I got from this episode, and this is probably the, my last thoughts on it, um, Ahmad Rashad riding to the first round of the playoffs in MJ's Range Rover um, with a license plate to Trey. I thought that was just a baller move. That was a baller move. Uh, so my last thing I want to go into on this was, uh, I'm saving the best for last here, Jordan's interview with him, with Ahmad, with the sunglasses on when he finally breaks his, his quiet, hissy fit tantrum to the media, finally decides to uh, have that interview. And Ahmad says, I still don't know why the hell he had those sunglasses on. I think we all know good and well why MJ had those sunglasses on. Oh, and I think Ahmad Rashad had a pretty good idea, too. That's why Ahmad wasn't in front of the camera. Yeah, Ahmad was very happy. And he also wrote on um, he wrote on Twitter uh, a couple minutes ago. He said that um, Bill Ebersole is actually the guy who wrote the questions for him. So, I mean, we, yeah, Ahmad, we got, we know why you weren't on camera, and we know why Jordan, we know why Jordan was in the sunglasses, and we know why Dick Ebersole wrote the questions for you. With saying that we know why, we would love to have you on to discuss it. So uh, everybody reach out to Ahmad, tell him to join Burst Your Bubble uh, for, a, uh, for an exclusive 
uh, off slash on the record report for that interview about him and Jordan partying the night before that interview or hours before that interview, even probably 30 minutes, probably in the, in the range before they turned on the camera. That is one thing I'm learning about Michael Jordan. He did not uh, care to smoke a cigar or drink a cold beer. That's, that's another thing. Yeah. They smoking was very prevalent then um, drinking a beer in the locker room. That was hilarious after a playoff game. Nonetheless, Jordan uh, yeah, said so- when he, Jordan said when he entered the league, they were drinking beer at halftime. If that's not my kind of NBA, I don't even want it anymore. If we're not bringing back cold beer at halftime, I don't even want NBA to come back. He said they would smoke cigarettes they got from the coach. That's That's why Kawhi left. Popovich wasn't giving him a stogie at halftime. Yeah, he didn't get his 12-pack. So, uh, yeah, that's probably um, my biggest takeaway is how much access this crew really had in 98. You know, even when Jordan had that conversation where he said where the guy came and asked him for a ticket and, he, you know, he gave him a ticket and he said, you know, he's got something about God. And Jordan said, well, he just gave you a ticket. You know what I mean? (laughs) Calling himself God. And, you know, the guy said, hey, y'all better not, y'all better keep that in there. And Jordan's like, shit, y'all better fucking edit that out. And (laughs) I mean, that's the best part of it, that nothing was edited out from this. Anything they brought to him, he accepted. Yeah, the the raw footage, just everything that we have here is gold. And it's amazing also that it was from, you know, the 90s, this whole time span that they got all of this on Jordan. That kind of access for that long into a star player doesn't happen anymore. And I'm so excited that they did this and that they're treating us to it now. Um, this has been the Sunday night highlights for my quarantine. Uh, it's what I look forward to every week. Yep, and uh, these were definitely the best episodes so far, um, any to me anyways. And everyone that I've um, heard from ESPN talk about that have seen the documentary that got early release copies of it, um, they say out of the eight episodes they've seen, because they haven't received the last two, five and six were by far the best, five being the best. And I completely agree with five being the best. Uh, And they say six and seven, I'm sorry, seven and eight, kind of get into Jerry Krause a little more. And uh, just kind of talking about Jerry Krause. After that 92 championship against the Trailblazers, that was an all-time press conference by him. Absolutely doubling, tripling, quadrupling down. It's an organization thing. It was a great – we have a great team, great players, but it's the organization. From Jerry Reinsdorf all the way down to the equipment guys, that's who wins championships. He said that they built what was probably the greatest organization of all time. He, he thought very highly of what they were building in Chicago. Yep, and then seconds later, Jordan told him, nope, you can't smoke this cigar. It'll stunt your growth. Can't let him, can't let him have it. <laughs> so that was just hilarious. And then literally months later, um, Scottie Pippen, when they were talking about, you know, how, what they did to Kukoc, he when he was quoted on that, he said, we were going to do everything we could to make Jerry look bad. That was in 1992. That was, oh, my God. They were, doing, they were sabotaging their GM six years before all of this fallout it just shows the hate and the, the passion that that these players had and the they didn't even have control but the ability to maneuver and manipulate these circumstances to fit what they wanted uh is incredible at this time because it was not a new thing but it was a uh you know a switching of the power a, a you know turning of the key moving forward for these players and they did a great job of stepping in and being able to take care of everything they needed to do. I think the reason we look at um, how he treated Jerry Krause and the, the relationship they had of everyone had, even Isaiah Thomas and Michael Jordan, I think we view it kind of as a novel um, because we don't see that anymore. You know, the hate just, it doesn't last off the court. Um, Look, Michael Jordan hated Jerry Krause and he hate I don't want to say he hates him to this day because he's dead but I mean probably probably didn't like him when he was alive Michael Jordan hates Isaiah Thomas to this day we don't see that anymore in the NBA we don't and the closest thing that we've had to that recently is KG with Kevin Garnett not wanting to retire his jersey 
Definitely, yeah. I mean, that's that's it. I mean, and he was even he was at that '98 All Star game. So yeah, he was you know, one of those old school kind of guys. So I mean, it, you're right. It is something that we don't really see a lot of now. Yep, and he was at that '98 or that yeah that '98 All Star game. So it really is a passing of the guard. This was like you said. These were definitely uh, my favorite two episodes. I loved being able to uh, dig into the life of Michael Jordan and uh, especially the partying side, the gambling side. Uh, all the competitive stuff from Michael Jordan. Uh, th- this was a, a really good thing to be able to look into and mentoring Kobe Bryant on the level that he did. Those two playing back and forth. Michael knowing about Kobe at the All-Star game when everyone was talking about him in the locker room, as young as Kobe was, doing the same shots, playing at the high level, just like Michael Jordan. He was trying to follow in those footsteps, uh, and he did a great job of doing so. He played well. He led the All-Star team, his team in scoring. It, these were an amazing two episodes, and I cannot be more ready for the next two. Yeah, I'm going to go rewatch the, the episodes five and six actually right now. I will probably do that tomorrow, but I, I'm excited for it, and it was fun breaking it down with you, and uh, I'm looking forward to next week's episode. As always, buddy, see you on Wednesday. All right, see you, man.